My idea, my philosophy, is that an adverse walking sequence is to pretty much roll out the red carpet for them, explain the benefits of the brand and the product that you have, then make them feel good for being there. Not every company is going to be quirky and cute, things like that. You don't have to, but you need to mention what makes your brand different. That's going to stick. If you do that well enough, then they're going to look forward to the next email and the next email and the next email. You're listening to Ecomonics, a Debutify podcast, your resource for one-of-a-kind insights into the world of e-commerce and business in the modern age. This is Joseph. I'll be presenting a wealth of industry knowledge from interviews with successful business people and our own state-of-the-art research. Your time is valuable, so let's go. I'm delighted to unveil a new component to our ecosystem that is essential, both within e-commerce and everywhere else where professionalism matters, and that is copywriting. My guest, Francis Nyan, is a professional copywriter who is an example of the ideal lifestyle such a career can offer. Francis Nyan, it is good to have you here in Ecomonics. How are you doing today? How are you feeling? Thank you so much, Joseph. I am absolutely stoked to be here. I've just been listening to some of your episodes and yeah, pretty honored to be here now. Well, it's an honor to have you. And I guess I just want to like, you know, pat myself on the back a little bit, let our audience know. So like you, were you listening to our content before uh, we, we had you booked? Was that was my understanding? Well, wow, that's great. I, it, uh, so I'll be honest with you, like the, the booking side of it, sometimes I'm involved, but there's like a hundred different things to do. So we do have other people. So did you reach out to us because you wanted to be on the show or did we still reach out to you? I reached out to y'all. So, you know, one of my little kind of daily habits is you know to always be learning and sometimes I go on morning walks and I put on like a podcast or I'm one of those weird people in the gym that like I don't listen to music I like may just put on like a nerdy like marketing podcast and I uh fell into yours and yeah you guys were definitely with me when I was doing like back and biceps a few times so okay I was like I really like this guy I like the vibe and I want to see if I can maybe get on and yeah, I didn't. I didn't know that. I, I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe, like I said, I get like a lot of messages, and there's a lot of like information in, a lot of information out. So maybe we even had like a conversation. So I feel bad if I'm like, "Hey, man, it's good to see you again." But anyways, so, so it, it is great to have you here, and and the honor we'll say is mutual because you know, with each episode that goes by, I get to see a whole new perspective. I get to meet another human being. You know, uh, in in a time where everybody is. Uh, socially reduced by my, my social circle has like increased tenfold. So, uh, so I'm, I'm, this is, this is a great start to my Monday morning. I'll, I'll, I'll say that. All right, let's get, let's let, let the audience know what you do and let the audience know what you're up to. Cause, um, this is going to be a pretty unique conversation. We haven't get to done, gone to talk to too many people specifically in your field. So take it away. Yeah. So, and yeah, as you said, my name is Francis Knight. I'm originally from Memphis, Tennessee, but I live currently based in, in Budapest, Hungary. Been there for five years. I am actually right now in Mexico. I've uh, been here for about five months, still working, still you know working my butt off, um, still getting on podcasts and speaking. And yeah, I'm a freelance um, email marketing strategist and copywriter. And so I meet and work with um, e-commerce brands, coaches, consultants, and helping them get the most profit out of their email lists. Mm-hmm. And one thing I wanted to uh, ask about, because you, so you say that you're you're based in uh, in Budapest, Hungary, but you're currently living in Mexico. So, uh, can you fill our audience in on, I guess, how you would characterize your your lifestyle? Like, to what degree are you traveling, especially in a time where travel is, you know, uh, drastically reduced overall? Yeah. So I guess most people, you know, if they 
I guess to look at my Instagram or something would call me like a, a digital nomad, um, which is kind of weird because I think that the term is a little bit cringy. But then also I wouldn't even call myself like very nomadic. I mean, I'm based in Budapest and I spend most of my time there. Uh, occasionally I'll go travel, uh, you know, once a month, every two months for like a few days here and there. Um, but I usually just stay in one place. And so, you know, I mean, I've been in Mexico for, for five months and that's only came here because Budapest's like COVID restrictions were a little too crazy. And so I was like, uh, you know, I have a friend here in Guadalajara and I just wanted to kind of, uh, you know, walk, have some walking around space and yeah, but um, I'm more of just like a slow traveler, I guess you could say. And um, I mean, yeah, I mean, I live in Budapest, so it's not really like a vacation for me. I like pay rent there and I pay taxes and things like that. Right. And and the reason why I ask about this is because one of the attractive features of, you know, not, not just the job shipping lifestyle, but the e-commerce lifestyle, the be your own boss lifestyle is the ability to have that kind of maneuverability. And I don't know, like I wake up in the morning and I'm terrified that my internet goes out. So even though I have an apartment and I have lights and everything, I'm still uh, having that guttural feeling in my stomach that something is going to go wrong. And incidentally, by the way, something did go wrong last week. I woke up and our whole apartment had been knocked out and I just like, oh, well, I got to cancel this interview. Hope the message gets to him in time. And so that really sucks. Um, so the idea for me coming being like a lifelong hermit is how often, if at all, has the, this particular lifestyle actually been a detriment to your ability to consistently do your job? Yeah, well, it's one of those things in which I, it, I do a, a, like a lot of research before I, I go anywhere. And, you know, sometimes I do have to kind of like spend the money to stay in like a nicer hotel or a nicer just Airbnb or motel that has like semi-consistent um, you know, Wi-Fi and things like that. Um, and within the last two years, well, especially within the last year, it hasn't been that much of a detriment just because I know how to research. I know what to do. Um, I never go in blindly into a new city or town or country. Um, you know, there are plenty of websites that you can go to in which um, digital nomads, remote workers, freelancers, they can literally rate the town or the city of, you know, Wi-Fi capabilities or friendliness of locals or affordability or safety and things like that. So mm -hmm. I definitely leverage those and use them. But um, I would say, you know, if anyone's listening to this and you're, you're worried about that, definitely join like a, a Facebook group of the town you're going to, uh, you know, be expats or locals and um, just ask, you know, where's the best place to get Wi-Fi? Does anyone have any suggestions? And, um, you know, it's 2021. So there's a lot of people, you know, traveling the world and working and they know what you know, these people need. So and you'll probably get a good answer, no doubt. And uh, I was just in Puerto Escondido in Western Mexico and, like a sleepy beach town and I, I asked the question in the group and they just gave me a bunch of suggestions and worked out just fine so yeah just definitely just prepare and do your own research mm -hmm. yeah it, it's not uh, an, an ideal thing to just go in blind and be like well i sure hope i'll be able to find a wi-fi or a starbucks now that said you know odds are good eventually you'll come across one but still I, I i think that makes a lot of sense and that 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 certainly helps even clear it up in my mind if i get to that point where uh, i have to be move around more often than i am right now which is Frankly, it's not at all. So, you know, any, anything is going to be more than it is at this point. So cool. Uh, maybe I'll uh, ask a couple of other uh, specific ones um, later on in the episode, depending on how things uh, unfold. But we definitely want to uh, sink our teeth into um, 
you know, the email marketing and the copywriting that you do. So we have talked to other people in the email marketing space. In fact, I talked to a, a fellow named uh, Daniel Budai, who's also in Budapest. Have you met him? Because if not, I'll introduce you to him. Yeah, me and Daniel, I was actually messaging Daniel like yesterday. Okay, I, I saw okay, cool. he posted something on Instagram and I was like, hey, buddy, I'm going back to Budapest next week. Let's, let's hang out. And so he just okay, like, cool. like my message. So I think that's a yes. Okay, great. So um, let's start by talking about, I guess, the uh, um, in you know in your in your view, the effectiveness of email marketing. And one thing that I've always specifically wanted to know is, you know, to what degree can email marketing? And by the way, feel free to expand on that if you feel that email marketing isn't fully encapsulating everything that we want to talk about today. To what degree it, can it be um, effective or earlier on when when somebody just starts their business? It seems like the only thing they really do at first is put down some money for Facebook ads or whatever advertising platform that you want um, to start generating those those customers that will then end up on the email marketing list. So it seems like it's hard for email marketing to, or emailing in general to be further up in the funnel. So but th- th- there's a couple of things to unpack there. But um, so let's start with, you know, what is the uh, effectiveness of email marketing in the market that we currently face? Yeah. I mean, right now, I think email marketing is probably the most important platform that, you know, any e-commerce store owner, really, really any business owner should have, you know, we're in the age of Facebook compliance and, you know, rules on social media where your content, these platforms can shut you down for any other reason. But, you know, you own your email list and it's one of those platforms in which it's extremely personal. You know, you can create tailored messages, um, you know, customized, you know, automations so that you can create a more imp- create a bigger impact on your audience when they join your email list. And you know, if you're just starting out and you're, you know, you put down the the paid ads and you're thinking that's going to be like the, you know, the one route to success, maybe it will be. You know, if you have an awesome, you know, website, an awesome product, and an awesome offer. But having an email list, it, it helps you build that audience so that you can bring them in. You know, they can grow with you. They can learn more about you and. Um, you know, you can create those little touches to the point where, you know, eventually they will say, okay, I want to try this product. You know, I have a guarantee. I'll buy it. See if I like it. And then at that point you have a sale. So I think it's, it's one of those things in which I think it was not many people were really thinking about it several years ago. Um, I think in the last year I've seen, I don't know, maybe it's just my Facebook algorithm, algorithm, but I think there's like millions of, email people like email experts nowadays and i think that's because people know that uh businesses especially e-commerce stores need email right i mean there's there's a number of reasons um why i uh, can can observe that its uh, efficacy has uh, improved i mean for one i think people are f- far more on their phones now than even uh, a year and a half ago and i also think that sms messaging uh has been an interesting topic and i've talked to some people who are experts in this space too and, and they're going through their own set of challenges because you have what are the preconceived expectations for SMS and or what I ex- expect to see from a text message. And so to have uh, businesses uh, also stepping into that space, too, it has reshaped what pe- what people are conditioned to expect with uh, getting text messages. Um, so in regards to emails, I think the expectations have, uh, you know, they, they, they start, they do start off pretty low, right? People are just expecting like spam or they're, they're expecting a Ponzi scheme for helping out uh, you know, a Nigerian prince. So, you know, any, anything above that um, is suddenly valuable to it. But one of the challenges 
you know, how do you prevent uh, the the customer from not reading it, right? I think some of, some of the problem, by the way, is that the email just shows up in the spam folder. So like I've had I've had businesses I've signed up for where then I'll look and I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute, no, this isn't junk. What are you doing, Outlook? Yeah, I mean, it's email deliverability is definitely a very big hot topic. I think that I've seen come up a whole lot more in the last like even like six seven months. Um, because yeah, I mean, I think that's comes with the evolution or like the re-evolution of like the importance of email. And, you know, yeah, I think you're right with the, the, the kind of the preconceived notion that email is spammy. That's why they even have a spam folder because I think for a long time, email, email marketing in general was, was spammy because, you know, you would just get, you know, a bit of a turn and burn of offers, or you would get 50% off, 60% off every email from you know the store owner or something but you know that's when you kind of have to change it up and you have to um work a little bit harder to create that kind of engagement and audience um rather the engagement with your audience so that's when you you know i kind of come in with creating copy and creating content that that hooks readers in and actually makes them think oh wow they're a little bit different they're kind of quirky they're pretty fun they actually sound human um, and that's kind of my philosophy when it comes to email marketing and email copywriting is to sound as human as possible. And, you know, when somebody gets that first email in the welcome sequence, they, they get excited. You know, my job is to condition the reader to be super pumped that they're getting this email and, you know, to kind of just be intrigued and be like, Oh, I wonder what they're going to say next. So I think that's, that's something that I've seen a whole lot recently. I mean, I have like a, a Gmail a Gmail account that's only swipes. I just go into a bunch of uh, email newsletters and I read them and I just kind of see what people are doing. And yeah, I mean, recently I've seen a whole lot of like really quirky, funny content. And I think that's kind of uh, the route that uh, that people should be kind of going to. Yeah, it must be um, a, a great, great for research. All you have to do is sign up for a bunch of these places. You don't have to unnecessarily buy anything just sign up for a bunch of newsletters uh, hoard a bunch of coupons and you'll see um uh, some of the writing uh, uh, much of the writing coming in and and so things have shifted towards a more personable state that's somewhat intriguing so i guess in your analysis um which if you want to define by the way how long you've uh, been analyzing this is when would you say that you've seen somewhat of a shift towards the more personable um, a copywriting and I guess maybe I don't remember, but like, what was it? What was it like prior to that point? I would say within the last like two to three years, definitely within the last two. Um, I think for a while the, the idea was that these emails should be really pretty. They shouldn't have these like very like cool, like sexy design. They should have a nice offer. Um, they should be very like straightforward and, you know, I think that's what you still see a lot with the bigger brands, like the Gap or the H and M, or um, you know, companies like that. And so, yeah, within the last two years, I've seen like this kind of more personal approach to it, and it's kind of refreshing. I mean, people like people want to be entertained. You know, they they, I think a lot of times when people think of email marketing and they don't want to send out, for example, a bunch of emails to their list, like oh, I'm bothering them. But in reality, if you're entertaining. And they're looking forward to your message. You're not bothering them, and so um, I've been I've been seeing that a whole lot. And I think it's even funny. I think last week I was pretty bored. I was looking at all these swipes, see what they were doing, and you know, there's all these jokes and kind of like um, yeah, different voices and tones. And I think it's really cool. And I think that's that's something that everybody should be kind of focusing on nowadays. 
sorry, when, when you say swipes, I, I'm, a, I'm a bit, I'm not exactly sure if I've unintentionally been participating in swipes all this time. What, what, what exactly are the swipes? Oh, yeah. Sorry. When I say swipes, I usually just say like, I think I use that as like a blanket term of things that I use to like maybe model or kind of like draw inspiration from. And so when I say like I have like a, a email swipe account, it's usually just all those emails I, I sign up for and okay, kind of okay, get inspiration you. from. I mean, of course, they're like direct response marketers in which they, you know, they literally have email swipes that they reuse over and over again. But um I guess it's kind of like a weird, like blanket term for it. Okay, well, I, I like it. I was just wondering if it was um, uh, an institutionalized term that I just uh, ha- hadn't heard yet. Okay, so a lot of what we've we've talked about. I wonder if this is what you would integrate into what you call the it's like cash e or c a s h e method. Um, so how does how, how does that factor in? Is that the all encompassing um, philosophy that you use to decide how you uh, write the copy? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I think you're talking about my cash money method. I thought it was a cute name, so I decided to pin it. But um, uh, the cash money method is pretty much my my overall uh, philosophy around email marketing and copy in general. So it stands for uh, copy, automation, segmentation, health, and engagement. And so this is all the things I kind of think about when I'm creating an email strategy and you know, really just creating the content in general. So I try to make sure that, you know, one, that the copy is, you know, it pushes the benefits and paints the picture of the benefits for the reader and, you know, make sure all the automations have that. And then we have a very robust set of automations based on the products and um, segmentation, you know, who you send the emails to to help with deliverability and, you know, the, the custom messages you can create. And then list health is just making sure you're not in spam and that you're not neglecting, you know, what you can do with uh, the email list and the engagement, you know, how can you get the, the reader, um, yeah, you know, more engaged, you know, interacting with the email, getting more excited and, you know, not just so much, um, 30, here's 30% off, here's 40% off, or just another, you know, it kind of takes it to another level of how can I get them to actually respond back or participate in something that we're doing. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, I, uh, even if it is a coupon, it's like congratulations, you exist. Here's eighteen percent off. Yeah, it can it, it can feel like well, you know what? I think they just they know that I'm going to take this coupon, and they've enhanced the prices for that. So yeah, I, I I can see where that's not quite enough to really compel people. So out of, out of all of those five, I think uh, segmentation is the one that I could use more, uh, pr- frankly, more guidance on because my my initial reaction is. Well, what do you mean by segmentation? I, it's either people who are on the newsletter or they're not. So is it about the, the different activity levels of customers? Is it about maybe what products they've purchased? So if some people lean more towards one of our more higher ticket items, they would end up on a different list, whereas people who are more generalized, they might end up on a different list, um, subscribers versus non-subscribers. So, you know, what it, I, I mean, this has got to change from like niche to niche. So I don't think there's any one particular rule, but I'm... I, I was actually surprised that segmentation is part of this at all. Yeah. I mean, it's a big part of like what I do. Cause you know, as you mentioned, the way I segment is I literally take data on everything. So I, I segment people based on their previous purchase, you know, how often they visited the website, um, you know, birthdays, countries, um, if they've opened the email within the last like 21 to 30 days and it's really helpful for me because, well, one, for a lot of the clients that I work with, they just do a horrible job segmenting. You know, no offense to them, but when, when I first started working with them, it really was just blasting the whole list. 
which is, you know, I would assume it may be like an old school method or maybe like a weird, like kind of churn and burn method. But, you know, I found out that by segmenting the list and having all of this data, then you can create um, automations, you can create manual campaigns, you know, to where the point where they're more sophisticated and you can create different messages, different offers to these segments. So, you know, for example, if you're somebody who you have an e-commerce store and you're thinking, oh, I don't want to send out three, four emails a week or even send out two emails a week or something, then you can use these segments so you can send messages to different people. So then you're not blasting the whole list. Um, and then you know, that helps with you know, not just getting more sales in, but then also helping your, your email deliverability. So you're not ending up in spam because if you're sending to a smaller list and these people are opening and you're getting a higher open rate because it is a smaller list, then you know the algorithms, these filters will recognize, oh, this email sender is valuable because their emails are getting read. So I'm going to make sure they land in the primary folder. And so um, that helps out with that a whole lot. And segmentation, you know, it kind of goes into, you know, I can write different kinds of copy and um, create certain content just for that list. So it makes it a lot more fun too. So um, yeah, I can definitely go have like speak for an entire hour around segmentation because I can be really nerdy about it. Um, but yeah, I think it's a it's a, a super important part of email marketing, and that's why I, I like talking about it. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I'd like to I'd like to hear more about it. Um, not not really like, like you say, you can go on for an hour. So I'm like, okay, so out of that <laughs> hour, what would be some of the questions somebody asks? So I think one of them would be the. the the aspect of collecting the data in the first place. So, so you're saying, for instance, uh, I can I can segment this somewhat based out of uh, birthdays. I can segment it somewhat based out of um, maybe a age range or even gender or even what part of the of the country or what part of the world that they live in. How exactly are you know between you and between your clients is how is the the data uh, being collected uh, so effectively? Yeah. So you know one of the I guess well the number one. Uh, I'm not a partner. I feel like I should be. So I should, I'm going to bet they like just promote their, the, the name of it. But I mean, I think Clavio, which is an email service provider, you know, it's, it's so robust and they, they help you. They even do like, it's so easy to segment and it's so easy to create forms and to, to gather this data. I mean, I was just speaking with a client the other day and they, I just onboarded them and they or were completely new to Clavio and they're like, Oh, well we have this, you know, UK list and US list. Like how do we create that? And um, I was like, do we, get, do we have to ask, you know, where, where everyone's from and collect it that, that way? And then uh, what happened was we looked into you know, the Clavio and we found out you know, exactly where everyone was from. You know, there's like a geotag thing there. Um, you, you know, you can turn it on or off. Um, and so you can use the software, you know, depending on you know, your ESP. Maybe you don't use Clavio, maybe you use OmniSend or, or the Maripost or something like that. Um, so you can really get this data in the... Uh, through the softwares that you use. And of course there's hundreds, if not thousands of different plugins and integrations that you can use to help get, gather this data. And so it's really, it's one of those things also it can be really overwhelming. So you kind of have to pick like maybe one or two things at a time. And um, of course not overwhelm your, your audience if you're looking for a certain kind of data. So, you know, if you have like an opt-in, it's probably best not to have like, you know, name, phone number, age, male, female, um, country. And you're like, Oh man, I feel like I'm, you know, buying airline tickets or something. I'm just trying to buy a t-shirt. So it's, um, you can definitely use a lot of plugins and integrate yourself out of that. 
Yeah, it could be somewhat uncanny too to get an email saying, "Hey, uh, Joseph from from Sussex, you know, <laughs> 1982 um, uh, Ever Ever uh, Everwood Street. My improvisational skills they don't really kick in until around noon. But so I can see how that might be a little bit. Okay, hang on a second. They just took the what I filled in, making it seem like so. Yeah, I I can see that. So actually, one other thing, I wonder if this is um, a part of it. So I'm going to take the long route to ask this question so you can understand my thought process, because um, one of the key things about market research is, you know, that first wave of ads that people send out is often to understand what their audience is so they can redefine some of the parameters, narrow down the interests and, uh, you know, get closer and closer to the bullseye. And so what I would wonder in regards to segmentation is if there's ever been uh, an, an, a means and a need to resegment, where say over time the the characteristics or the qualities of the customers they become more known because you start to have a higher degree of interaction, and so you say, well, you know what, we used to segment them based off gender, but now we don't actually need to do that. Now we can segment them based off of what time of the day they get up, more specific to my product. So is that uh, am I just pulling this out of thin air, or have you seen examples of uh, resegmentation as the information becomes more refined? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, um, I guess reseg- resegmentation could be the word. I mean, I think maybe no segmentation is like I mean, I've just discovered sometimes where I segment something and I get data, and I'm like, all right, this actually does not even matter at all. Like, um, you know, one thing that's recently happened was kind of segmenting male or female for this particular brand that I was working on. And I was like, should I create like a different tone? Should I mention like certain different interests? And then I realized that I was just coming off like super cheesy in that the result actually didn't matter. Um, I mean, who knows? Maybe my copy wasn't that great. Um, I, th- I thought it was pretty good, but then yeah, there's just some times in which it's the data doesn't really, it's not really, it's not going to be as super as effective. I mean, I think it's good to have, but I think um, it's like in the 80, 20, you know, the rule, eventually you find, you know, the, the most important things that you need to focus on and that cause the most impact. So yeah, I've done that before and I still do that. It's part of the evolution of kind of making the, the research more sophisticated is that you realize certain things don't really, um, don't really matter. And you got to focus on, you know, the handful, two, three things, maybe of the things that matter most and create your, your messaging to, to garner that. Okay, and then uh, one more one more follow up to that um, would be, and I suppose this is another one of those matters where it's a case by case basis. But you know, de- determining for your what, what are the things that matter the most? Because, like you said, you know, basing it off of gender, which is a, a pretty substantial part of the you know the human construct, ended up not really being relevant to it. So I guess some of that has to do with the brand appeal, with the product, the the target market. So. You know, how are people figuring out what are the important uh, parameters by which to, if necessary, segment their customers? Yeah, I mean, so the thing that kind of that sticks out to me is just definitely what they, you know, what the, what they purchased in the past, and you know, what are the, you know, how can we upsell certain people to, you know, if they gotten, you know, we've seen that certain people buy this product and then then also buy this one, then perhaps then we should create an automation that has a really good upsell to, you know, product A to product B. And, you know, that's helped me a whole lot kind of create that AOV, help me create, you know, just boost more revenue for my clients, just so we know, you know, and sometimes it can be really surprising because the client will think, oh, I love this. I love this product. It's super kick-ass. 
like I think we should promote the hell out of it. And then in reality, it's like not that big of a hitter at all. And you know, they're not getting that many sales from it compared to other ones. So um, things like customer behavior is super important. And you know, countries, of course. So um, there are ways, especially in Flavio, that you can just easily like segment it and also send emails to these people you know, based on, you know, I kind of consider the like the weather if I'm selling like a clothing product or something or um, something like that. But um, yeah, just to make sure that they get the emails on time and that, you know, we're not sending all the emails at 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time and that's middle of the day, their time or, you know, 3 a.m. their time. So it's, um yeah, I think those are the first two things that kind of come to mind right now. Yeah, I, I personally wouldn't have thought that uh, the time of the day that the email is sent is relevant, but then I realize how my mood changes over the course of the day. Like if I'm if I if I get an email early on in the morning and I'm still you know getting warmed up for the day, mm, I might not be so uh, keen on opening it. Maybe later on the day or during lunch, while I'm already distracted on my phone, like oh okay, I I, I got an email. So yeah, there, there's a lot of specificity to it. Uh, I the most specific thing that I can think of is. Re- uh, a parallel to say it's a rainy day uh, and I'm in uh, the, the the shopper's drug mart, our, our local pharmacy chain. I'm like, oh, I forgot my umbrella. Well, it's either 10 bucks for an umbrella or pneumonia. So I guess I'll go with the umbrella. So if if like somebody looks at the weather and they say, well, it's going to be a week worth of rain, send out an email to saying, hey, rainy, you know, uh, rain coming up. Uh, maybe you might, now might be a good time to uh, get yourself one of these uh, umbrellas, provided they, they arrive in time. But that's a whole different matter. Yeah, that'd be crazy if like you started sending out emails based on like weather predictions. It's like, oh, you're in Budapest. It's supposed to be, you know, 30 degrees and sunny. Make sure you have sunscreen because we sell sunscreen or something. I think I haven't gotten that level yet. Yeah. I'm sure there's someone out there who's listening to this and they're like, you fool. You should, <laughs> you should be doing that. So maybe maybe in the next, I don't know, three months, I'll talk to my team we can work on that yeah well it's like it's uh, i mean i'm i'm saying that with at least uh, some hint of irony but it really it comes down to as the communication technology progresses and it becomes i think more you know easier and more we're just there's less resistance to uh, receiving messages people become more uh, more aware of it i don't know i'm, I'm thinking it gets to the, like minority report point to where people are walking down the street and then that pops up and say hey, uh, mr jones here's what we have in mind too so that, that's just me going off into fantasy territory we'll we'll, we'll, we'll table that for I don't know. Six, six, six years. We'll come back. We'll see where, what situation we're in. Uh, hopefully, we have jetpacks. Anyways, that's we got. Obviously, we want to talk about the the content of the emails itself. That's I mean, that's massive. That's that's key to it. So the first challenge, I suppose, is and we and we touched on this earlier. So you have to forgive me for for restating it. I do try to avoid this as much as I can, but. Um, trying to initially get people's uh, interest. So we've established some of that has to do with, you know, the, the higher the open rate, the more likely that it's not going to end up in spam. I think some of it is also the the email um, inbox is doing some pre-guarding on its own. So it's maybe like Google or Outlook or something like that. They're 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 having this own look at it and they're saying mm, this is actually kind of sus and it goes into spam even because I know for a fact that they've screwed up a number of emails some of which has been very important you know hearing from hearing from friends even hearing from some companies where I've had uh, orders I think one I can't I can't prove this but I think one time Outlook actually thought an email from Microsoft was spam so I don't know these things they don't I can't I can't prove that one but I just I don't know that just came to my mind so at the very least provided that there's a key detail that I missed where emails can actually end up in an inbox even though somebody hasn't uh, gone to the website. Maybe you can touch on that. That'd be great. But if not, don't worry about it. 
But people have, you know, they've signed up, they provided their information, they are expecting an email. So how, uh, you know, starting with the subject line, what goes into the subject line to make it appealing enough to want to open it up? Yeah, well, so if someone opts into your list and you know, they're obviously going to go through like a welcome sequence of some sorts, or at least I hope so. I've definitely opted in to some lists and I haven't even gotten like a welcome sequence. So first of all, anyone who's this, make sure you have a welcome sequence. Subject line, and make sure it's relevant to um, you know, why they opted in in the first place. Maybe it's a discount, maybe it's a free PDF, ebook, um, something like that. So make sure that... Uh, you know, the subject line is relevant to why they opted in. But then um, the content itself should be way more than just here's your free PDF, here's your 10% off discount, here's whatever. You know, the, this first email, this is your first impression. This is your time to, to make an impact on your reader and have them be like, whoa, okay, they're different, they're cool, maybe they're um, interesting or they can help me. So that's a really important mindset to have when you're writing, writing the copy for your first welcome sequence because, you know, it's, it's just a human-to-human interaction almost. Of course, it's an automation, so not necessarily fully human. But, you know, imagine you're going to a party and you like, you meet someone and you think they're cool, you exchange information. You know, one, are they, are you guys like hitting, up each, like hitting each other up in a decent amount of time, maybe the next day? or two days later, or are you just waiting like a week to, to say anything? And then two, what's the first interaction that you have? Is it just like, hey, do you want to jump into bed with me? Or, hey, give me 10 bucks? No. You want to create that rapport. You want to create that connection from the beginning. So my idea, my philosophy is that in that first walking sequence is to ro- te- pretty much roll out the right carpet for them explain the benefits of the brand and the product that you have, then make them feel good for being there. So, you know, of course, not every company is going to be quirky and cute, things like that. You don't have to be, but you need to mention what makes your brand different. You know, what is, why are you so unique that people like you in the first place? Um, And that's going to stick. If you do that well enough, then they're going to look forward to the next email and the next email and the next email, especially if you're able to set their expectations and literally tell them like, because you're on this email list, you're going to get you know, two, three, four, five daily emails a day, I don't know, depending on what your strategy is. And then, you know, kind of creating a connection between all of the emails. So, and that helps you kind of, condition them to look forward to your next emails. So then your, your open rates do go up. Then So then your sender reputation goes up. So then you're landing in more primary inboxes. So then people see more of your emails. So then you make more sales. And then, um, yeah, I just think it's uh, super important in that first email to make the impression. So, you know what, I didn't, I didn't know that was a thing to be honest with you. And, that, and I get loads of emails. So I'm certainly, I've, I'm sure I've, uh, I've encountered it a number of times, but you know, well, I do have my own my own store. You've been you've been a listener, so you you do know kind of like little bits and pieces of my journey. You know, my service coming along. Uh, I'm I'm still testing out the remaining of my product before I uh, you know market it and all that. And I honestly would have thought that somebody signs up for the newsletter, they are just going to be the recipient of whatever happens to be the next email in the sequence because I would just have you know my 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 email newsletter maybe once a month, maybe once every two weeks, whatever the plan was. 
I wouldn't have thought to provide, you know, a welcome email to them now that they've uh, they've become a little bit more uh, closer with the brand. So that right there is fantastic. Now, would you consider that an automation to the point yeah. where it's, yeah, okay. Definitely. okay. And I guess one other thing, um, I'm not asking so much about whether or not this is a, a, a good idea, although, you know, feel free to touch on that if you, uh, you know, if your expertise can speak to it. But I guess I would want to also have different welcome sequences depending on how I've acquired the email. Like, for instance, if somebody just signs up for the newsletter, they get the coupon, but they haven't purchased anything yet. I feel like the email sequence for them might be a little bit more introductory into the brand, into the mission. Whereas if somebody has made a purchase and then they, you know, so they sign up with their email, I, th- I think there's a little bit more warmth there. And so the customer, they've already purchased. And so I say, well, you know, thank you for, for your support. A, is that worthwhile? And B, is Clavio, uh, which it seems to be the, um, the email marketing app du jour, is that set up so that I can actually target two different um, uh, er- areas where people come through the door? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. You can definitely do that. I mean, it's, it's all about just creating the form and also creating the, that has to do, I'm about to get like really, I'm about to fail kind of explaining this tech side. I've seen like my assistant do it and I've done it a few times, but it's hard for me to explain. So basically if, because Flavio has your data, then when you go to their website, you can create different pop-ups depending on your behavior. So if you're a past purchaser, then the, the pop-up that comes up can be, can be different compared to someone who hasn't purchased at all. And that's actually a really cool way for, for brands that I've seen do. And I've seen other experts explain this, that like, you know, when a former purchaser comes back to the site and they get this new pop-up of like, oh, it's our June sale or something, then it's like just another way to create, you know, another piece of engagement to, you know, they put in their email list that shows that they're more, you know, they're very interested, even though they bought before and they care enough to like try to get a code and, you know, they want to put their, their email in to get the code and things like that. So um, you can definitely do that in Clavio because, you know, you can make it to where um, if someone signs up, you can filter them out of like a past purchaser. Yes, no. Yes, send them to this branch of the sequence. Um, if they're, uh, yes, if they have purchased, then send them to the other branch. So you can definitely do that. And I think it's, it's very good. I mean, I know that's actually not super 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 common i think a lot of stores you know they definitely don't do that i think they they should um especially if they're trying to be more brandy and you know try to be a little more different and robust but yeah if you have um you know the creativity to do that and you you want to anything that kind of creates like a a tailored kind of custom message i think is is invaluable and just do it yeah i mean i i think it has a lot to do with the you know the the fight in uh, within the brand or who, who who's running it, if they if they if they, especially if they know they're getting into a niche where there are some huge um, uh, goliaths in that particular niche, and well, that's basically any niche really. You know, the more that they're willing to to do that, I think I, I'm certain that that would provide a lot more of an individual um, uh, yield for each individual customer if they really feel like they're getting something uh, particular to them. So there's you know there's there's a whole whole branch of different ways that I. I, I can take this. There's certainly uh, a lot more um, to ask. So um, let, let's get into, I guess, the uh, you know the meat of the copy itself. So some of the things we've touched on, just to reiterate, you know, you don't necessarily have to be quirky. There are different um, vibes, I guess, that you can convey in it. Uh, what would you say are some of the some of the more common ones uh, that you've seen? And I 
suppose uh, have written yourself and i guess as a writer like i'm i i see myself as a creative writer too you know i've uh, i've uh, i've i've dabbled in it throughout my entire life so i know that there are there's a range to my writing style in the same way that a singer has range to their voice so um do you do you feel that you have a range with it as well or is there like is there certain styles that you have a little bit of a harder time uh, adapting yeah for sure for sure i mean i i think when i was like a big agency writer then you know i was going into like different niches different voices and tones and i was able to really stretch myself as a writer to see what i can do there are some things i, can, I definitely can't do just because there's certain vernacular certain words that um the, the demographic uses that i don't really know you know for example like golf i mean i tried um I have a golf client right now and i'm doing my best to to sound like i play golf i've never swung a golf club before or anything like that so um, you know, that like using like certain vernacular and using it like correctly can, can be a little bit tough for me, you know, honestly, but the ways that I have succeeded is when the company I'm writing for, there's a bit of a brand persona and there's an actual name and person to it. So a lot of e-commerce businesses that I've worked with, they use like, you know, Jesse, the customer success manager or the expert or like the customer happiness expert or something. They try to get really cute with it. And so kind of writing where you're, you're taking on the persona, the persona of like an actual like human being, then that's actually a lot easier because then you can you can throw in a little bit more personality in there, but you also have a lot of cushioning and forgiveness to where if you're not 100% on all the time, then it's just like oh well maybe Jesse the customer happiness expert was just a little down that day or not as happy or something. So it has a bit of more of a human element to it. Um, I think I've, I've really succeeded doing that. And I like doing that. It's really fun. Um, I think it gets, it can be pretty difficult when you're just speaking as the brand because, you know, there's no introduction of like, this is a person. It's like, we are this company and it can get pretty boring. I've noticed that sometimes I filter out the same like words and things like that. So, um, it, but it's all about just doing the research to seeing what the customers, you know, what do they like about the product? What do they don't like? You know, why they bought the product in the first place. So that, that comes in a whole lot with, with the research and, Sometimes I've surprised myself with how well I've written in a certain voice. And sometimes I'm totally disappointed in myself, like with golf, for example. Right. Yeah. Uh, it, uh, sorry, I was fighting the urge to not to get into my repertoire of, uh, of golf puns. <laughs> just, 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 just I, the one I was about to say when I had to stop myself from saying it in context was it does take a while to get into the swing of things, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> have to have drive see see they just okay sorry I'm use that i'm gonna use that one yeah yeah i i i it's it's, it's all good I, I may or may not have teed you up for that by the way if you're a current user of debutify or haven't tried us out yet debutify version 3 has been released and now is a good time to upgrade or get started as any a streamlined user interface along with an ever-increasing array of conversion boosting add-ons is waiting for you so download today for free and start your journey who knows Maybe I'll be interviewing you before too long. I, I guess this is like a semantical question, uh, but do, does anybody uh, do the clients? Do they read the email before it goes to the uh, to, to the audience just to make sure that they're like they're they're copacetic with it because they can provide notes? Because I figured like especially if it was an area that I hadn't I had any prior experience, not even like Wii Sports or golf or something like that, like. 
I feel like I would really want the client to look at this first before it uh, it, it goes out to the masses. Oh yeah, definitely. That's that's part of my process. Just because it, you know I do have my own writing style, and sometimes that bleeds into let's say the first few emails that I write. So I always get their feedback on how I can improve. You know, what am I doing? Because sometimes I I think I'm absolutely killing it, and they're like, I'm like, this is like so great, it's so good, and they're like, yeah, we don't use this word, or like that's way too happy, or don't use this exclamation mark. <laughs> Sometimes it can be too like to the point where they're like, don't use that exclamation mark there. That's too, it's too much. I'm like, oh, okay, I'm sorry. So um, yeah, I try to get it. And sometimes we, I get like you know, client conversations in which I explain to them why we do this or do that. So, um, cause yeah, um, several of the clients I've worked with in the past, they're like, oh, I want to be very straightforward and, and things like this. But then um, maybe this, I think it, might hurt their brand they're just too too short and then to add just a little bit more context and copy so um yeah it's definitely part of my, my plan is just to make sure the client's happy from from experience has there been a situation where um like the client had disagreed with something but then you made a compelling case why like your expertise actually managed to uh, have the final say compared to their their take on the matter yeah yeah it's definitely happened um it's, it never happens in just like one meeting um especially you know the, the the clients in which they were doing they were writing their own stuff before and they are very adamant on kind of like keeping it and they have a hard time letting it go and yeah. letting me you know do you know do my work um it has happened and you know i always test it i say let's just test it if you believe your way is better than mine let's just you know do a 50 50 split on on an automation or instead of emails and let's see what works. And, um, I typically win. Sometimes I lose mm-hmm. maybe one out of 10 times I lose, but, um, it's, uh, it's something that, you know, as long as we can test it, then I'm happy. It's like, at the end of the day, I, I want it to work. I, I want, you know, this, this part of their business to succeed. So I say, you know, we can test it. If I lose, I lose, at least we're making more money for you guys. So yeah, yeah it's definitely happy. Well, that's a great solution to the issue is just to split test it and just say, well, you know, why don't we just try both ways and, and we'll see what ends up getting the better yield. Yeah. Yeah. And I, they're always open to it. I mean, Ogilvy said, you know, always be testing things. So mm-hmm. we just go by that method and yeah, we'll see what works. Mm-hmm. And one of the things, uh, one of the terms that I, that I'd seen is, you know, when you're writing emails is, um, to, to make them, to make them evergreen, you know, to really endow them with that, uh, long lasting, uh, quality. And the reason why I personally find this is important is because, well, I mean, some of the podcasts that I listen to, they, they're like my daily dump of information and news. And I've never deleted their email because anytime that a subject is brought up, I can pull up their email and just scan through them because they have links to different uh, news articles. And so it's a great reference material. So some of these are, are going to last me for years and years and years, just because you never know when I'm going to have to pull up a certain something. So um, when you say, you know, evergreen, like what is the, really the, the length of time that, you know, this content is going to uh, hold water in, in the long run? Yeah. I mean, yeah. When I say evergreen, it's usually just something that long-term is just the main word. Eventually things change, the market changes, you know, we're talking about resegmenting. Maybe we want to focus on another segment that fits a certain voice. Um, it's really until we see a certain dip in, in the, the results. Yeah, and then at that point we kind of take a step back, go back to the drawing board, and start testing out more things. So, but it's mainly more about focusing on the automations and seeing how, you know, these can 
actually stay up for long, you know, much longer. So anytime that we, I've had welcome sequences that were absolutely killer, 90%, you know, open rate, you know, absurd place order rate. And then six months later, it like goes drastically down for some reason. And so um, it's something that we, we kind of strive for forever, but we know that's unrealistic, but you know, it's a, it's a goal that we have that, you know, is there a way that we can create an automation or something that can be, you know, the control, as we say in copywriting, you know, for as long as possible, hopefully forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and again, just going back to the, you know, some of the other emails that I've received, you know, I, I will say personally, a lot of the times I don't, I don't read them, but I know that I've, I've, I've got them uh, storage. So one that I'm happy to give an example to is uh, Manta Sleep. You know, I, got an, I, I love my sleep mask and I've been using it for a couple of years now. I do wash it, even if I forget to wash it more often than I should. But that's a different case. And they've, you know, they provide a lot of information on, on sleeping. And, and I've read some of them, but I haven't read all of them, but they're all there. And so, you know, one of these days I might just like go through all the emails and just do like a three hour session just uh, just on studying all of this. I mean, some of this will, and I'm afraid that some of the stuff can't be tracked on the user end because I don't think that there's, other than the open rate, like you would, I guess you would have to see, oh, all of a sudden he opened up a bunch of these, but we're talking about like three years down the line possibly. So a, a lot of that can't, can't be discovered, but I think it just does speak to the overall importance of, you know, making the copy be, be worthwhile of somebody's time, even if, uh, if they don't get to it right away. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I'm, yeah, I mean, you can also click, you, sorry, click, you can also track, you know, what are people clicking on in the emails and maybe there's certain um, blogs that you are like promoting, they're showcasing and that like, you notice that there's a lot more clicks on it in the past. And, you know, sometimes there's like an absurd amount and you're like, oh, I guess people really like that type of content. I'm going to make sure that's in my evergreen sequence. I'm going to put that in my welcome sequence. So um, it is something that you can, you can take a look at and see like, Oh, you know, that's really popular. I'm going to use that maybe forever or at least keep using it because it's a hitter. So, um, yeah, always be, always, always be looking at your analytics. Have you, have you seen people say like, I, cause I guess this would be tempting if I was writing a blog and a newsletter, I might just want to like repurpose the content. Have you seen people do that where they just, they, they get their blog content turns into email or email turns into blog content. I guess if it were me and I just wanted to repurpose the material, I would, I would send it out as an email. But then maybe like in a couple of months, I would repurpose it as a blog just to have the content there. I don't know. Is that, have you seen people do that? Because that to me seems like a good use of the content, but I don't know if that might come across as trying to like, you know, uh, stretch the, 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 the value there a little too thin. Yeah, no, it's, um, I know repurposing is, is huge. And I definitely see that in, in crazy, crazy, crazy ways. You know, I've seen people write, you know, an email that was also a blog post and they're going to, maybe structured around so then they can use it as like a Facebook post and then something that we'll put it on LinkedIn. And then if it's like really good, they'll just save all of the stuff they ever repurposed and then turn it into an ebook. And then, you know, then the ebook will, instead of just being an ebook, they'll record the voice. So then now it's an audiobook. And then it's like, it's literally like, it can be pretty intricate and pretty impressive because I've definitely read blogs or, um, even like a YouTube ad. Actually, I wrote I wrote like a YouTube ad for for a client of mine, and he was like, "Oh, I'm going to use this for um, my email list too." I'm like, "Oh, okay." And then I found out, yeah, he was using it for his ebook, and he posted it on like on his LinkedIn, and I'm like, "Whoa!" Like, it's all over the place. And so it's I definitely see that. I think it's really smart. Um, of course, eventually, if you have like a super fan, they're like, uh, he uses like everything like, all the time. 
the same things all the time that it can get pretty tired. I mean, it's happened to me. I'm that super fan. It's happened to me before. And so, um, but yeah, I think it's pretty smart. Yeah. Well, you know, once you get past the veil, you start to understand that, you know, this is a business and it, it's, it's not, I, 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 me, from my perspective, it wouldn't just be like, I'm just trying to be cheap about it and just try to like, you know, recycle content. It's more of a motivation to make the content in the first place, knowing that there is, you know, a, a lot of, um, a lot of routes that the content can take down the line. It does, it does remind me of like, I, we hear about this story once in a while where somebody, they see a, a stand-up comedian for the first time and they and they see their 30-minute set and they're like, oh, this guy's great. And then they come back maybe like the next week and he does the exact same material. It's like, well, well, but I thought he says something different every time. Like, you know, you, you, we, don't, I, we don't want to base too much of the market off of, um, uh, off of that side. But that is, it's kind of it's just an interesting observation because, you know, that the people who are there to discover it are always the people who will get the most of a reaction to it. So it's always uh, the people in that discovery phase that I think are the most important people to reach out to. Once you get people who are like, you know, they start to understand it, they see past the veil, probably a, a different means to communicate with them. Yeah, I think that's when segmentation is key. Exactly. You need to start creating a different message, different content for them. So, the, so I looked at your blog um, because you are a, a writer, of course. So looking at your blog would be a, a worthwhile um, uh, use of my time. And um, I'm about to use a term that will explain why other than the 12 times somebody's dropped an F-bomb, uh, not that I'm keeping specific track or anything, uh, but this is why we don't bother with the the, the, the safer kids one. But the term uh, marketing incest, I thought was like, you know, it's, it's a, it's, it's, it's a, it's a pattern interrupt. You know, I, I certainly, okay, well, this is a, a potent term. Let's have a look at that. If I were to, I, I think in my view, I'm like, I wonder if I would call it marketing inbreeding or marketing incest, but either way, it's, uh, it's certainly an important thing that we need to keep in mind. So um, explain to us what the, what, what this concept is and, you know, the, the dangers behind it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Marketing incest. That was a popular one. Um, speaking of repurposing, that was actually an email, like an email sent to my list and I just repurposed it into a blog post. So evergreen reading. So marketing incest is basically the idea of like using other people's um, stuff, their other content and repurposing it as yours. So not repurposing it as the way that we were just talking about it, but more just in a way stealing it and just using it as as your own. And kind of using as a as, as a as a template, and you kind of um, yeah use it as a template. And it's something that I I kind of thought of because you know I'm not a big social media guy, but when I would go on like Facebook or something and see all these you know business owners, and they would just start posting like the same type of stuff, the same stories, the same questions, um, and you know I would go to the, my 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 emails and read different. You know, emails that people are sending out and they're all sounding the same you know it's for example like you know the may the fourth um holiday we had we probably had yeah. a bunch of emails that said may the fourth be with you yeah and it's basically just using the same stuff that everyone's doing and i just call that marketing incest because it's just like mashup of content dna to you know to create something that's very i don't know ugly um, probably not the right word i think i got lost in my words there but um basically it's the way i describe people just being really boring and using the same stuff over and over again. And that's always a big problem with me because I want to be entertained. You know, I'm a consumer as well. And so that's why I, the way I, I create emails and write copy for my clients is to make sure it stay, it's away from the, from the, from the incest and instead make it more individual, make it more unique, make it very different to the point where like, 
if somebody were to swipe this, then they would know it was stolen from this certain brand. So that's my whole philosophy around it. And that's marketing incest. So yeah, just be as unique as possible with your brand and have fun with it. Right. And, and, and I think this isn't just about, you know, um, wanting want to be unique for uniqueness sake. It's also about um, fending off, I think, other people's desire to take our, our quality content. Uh, because someone somewhere thought of May the Fourth, uh, <laughs> which you know, be, be pretty, uh, you know, Disney is more powerful than most governments. So I would be surprised if at some point it actually manages to be like a full-on holiday. Uh, we're bringing back Spike TV for the day. We're just going to run Star Wars on it. So, <laughs> uh, so, but it's it's about uh, constantly being at the creative forefront of what it is that we're doing. And so, while all these other people, they might rip off something that we written three months ago, the brand has continued to evolve and change and. Uh, provide more insight for for the audience and so um th- i think that's part of the motivation too isn't isn't just like you know just to be unique for uniqueness sake but it's also like this is how you prevent other be, being perceived as the one doing the ripping of the offing because if somebody else happens to see that content first then they see ours and they think well hold on a second you know who who, who thought of it so um and it, that's one that I can think of, but I'm wondering if there's other tactics or methods that people have devised to kind of like keep these um, these leeches at bay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it really depends on the, on the product and the service or something. You know, it's it's. Um, I've seen a lot. You know, especially in slightly away from e-commerce. You know, I've seen a lot of it in the in the biz op niche or the dating niche where they're basically just saying the same thing over and over again, and they're kind of losing the the point of explaining the the unique mechanism of their of their company and so um yeah it's just something that's kind of a it's a bit of a plague i think i've even put that in my blog post it's like i think i've seen a plague going on in the marketing world or something i think i was i think i just watched contagion like the day before i wrote that or something so um but yeah i think it's a it's a term that it's something i see like all the time and even though i wrote a blog post about it it's still happening. So I know it's not life-changing, but it's, um, yeah, I just see it everywhere. Right. Well, you know, I guess the, the good news of it is that people are, people are doing this. And so it is the, the opportunity to stand out, you know, in order to have a pattern interrupt, there has to be a pattern first. So, you know, for the, for those who can, uh, uh, who can capitalize on it, uh, more power to them. The other thing is funny too, is you mentioned, uh, you mentioned dating apps and one part of this, um, that made me think about like, I don't know what the intention was when they started Tinder, but Tinder certainly created a reputation for a certain form of, you know, um, uh, a relationship, uh, the kind that, um, you know, don't last very long. Uh, (laughs) Oh boy, Uh, there was double meaning there if there was ever uh, uh, unintended double meaning, but there you go. So I do think some of it also has to do with how the brand is perceived and how they might want to recognize how people see them and then uh, re-adopt uh, their, their, their messaging a little bit more uh, to that. Because sometimes you have a massive about like what, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people who are all communicating among one another and almost like deciding the brand for them. So uh, I'm just wondering if, you, if you've seen examples of like that where the brand really shifted uh, in a natural way based off uh, based of how the audience was uh, was interacting with them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I see that. I definitely see that every few months and I definitely look at that, my email list and I'm like, oh, okay, things are definitely different here. You know? Um, yeah, I guess just to go back to the dating thing. I mean, there was a company that I used to work with back in Budapest and you know, they weren't really doing anything with their email list. And you know, it was very, when they, if they did send something, it was very, 
very basic, 100, 150 words, maybe. Now, just recently, I've noticed that they're more like story-based and they're using more examples of their you know, students' success and things like that. So I definitely do see like little changes here and there. And I think that's just like the evolution of any business, really. I mean, I see that in e-commerce brands as well, in which maybe they were quite young when I first fell upon them. But then you know, as a year, maybe two comes around, their website, their email start to look a little bit more sophisticated and their copy has a bit more personality to that. So it's it's a definitely a it's a good thing, I think. And it's quite common. And I think you should also be trying to create some type of evolution in your business every year, especially in your message. Yeah, certainly, certainly to be open to it. Like, uh, there's a fine line between you know uh, um, forcing it upon the brand, but also um, being too resistant to what is a natural um, uh, evolution of it. So there's certainly um, a balance between those two points. Now, with that said, uh, I, I ain't got you for very much longer, but I, I feel like we've 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 established like twelve threads, and there's a whole bunch of other things that we can get to. So, you know, if you want to give yourself a quarter or two, and then um, come back on the show, pick up where we left off, I mean, I would love to have you back. Um, but with the little time that I have you left, the last thing that I want to hear about is, I guess, really just how you uh, how you got into copywriting because um, you're doing very well. You know, you have uh, you have a great deal of freedom, and I don't know exactly how many hours a week you work, but you seem to be pretty happy with the amount of hours that you have. So, how did you get to this? point exactly yeah yeah for sure i mean it's a, kind of a crazy kind of a thing i mean i used copywriting as a way to like yeah feel freedom and so it's one of those things that i kind of feel like I, it was kind of i had to do you know several years ago i think if you go to my blog you join my email list you hear about i guess my the darker past of francis nine we're dealing with addiction and things like that and so um, when you're an addict, you don't have that much freedom. So I think when I was getting into my twenties, I wanted, and I was cleaner, clean, <laughs> cleaner, clean. I was, uh, you know, I, I wanted freedom. So when I, I first fell upon copywriting, when I was in my second year of teaching in Budapest and I realized I did not like to teach, I wanted to do something completely different. And so I went online looking up, you know, how to make money online. Of course, typical thing. And fell upon a bunch of stuff, didn't know what to do. And then I actually ran into a, a German guy at a bar and he was 20 years old, traveling the world. And I'm like, what do you do? You're 20, you're not even in school. You don't have a degree. Like, what do you do? He's like, oh, I'm a copywriter. And I was like, what's that? Like, are you a lawyer? You know, I thought it was like copyright infringement, of course. And no, he's like, no, I sell, I sell products with like you know, written text. And as a writer myself back then, I still considered myself a writer, more like journalistic style. I uh, was intrigued. And so I just asked him, I said, how do I learn how to do this? You know, where do I begin? And he just gave me a bunch of you know resources. Finn Lobson, if you're listening to this, if I'm making you proud, man. But um, yeah, he that's how I started. And then I think like a month later, I just decided to go all in. I didn't even have a laptop. I just like bought like a really crappy $200 laptop on like Facebook Marketplace. And just, yeah, I was just like hustling, trying to get any type of work but then it kind of became yeah my evolution was like i just fell upon the email marketing agency started to you know everyone was telling me to niche down so decided to focus more on email and learn the software along the way and yeah it's grown to what it is today well you know i, I i'm happy to, to to hear that and i really wanted to get that question in before i get you on out of here just because there's there are a number of routes that people can take um all of which, you know, here in Ecomotics, all of which have to do with e-commerce. But 
Yeah, it's been it's been uh, it's been quite a few interviews, and I haven't. I've talked to I've talked to copywriters. I've talked to people mostly on like representing agencies such as uh, Daniel Boudaï. But to, just to hear what you know what you're up to uh, on an individual level, I, I think it's fantastic, and and I think it's very encouraging for anybody who's got that creative bent, even myself included. Uh, you know, I certainly look forward to being able to use my writing to to convey my brand. So that's certainly uh, in in the cards for me. But you know, it it is great to hear that this kind of work um, is not only there, um, but it's also, you know, <laughs> I, I, I'm going to say lucrative, but I really do mean that in however, in the most positive way lucrative can be conveyed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a uh, copywriters, they do have a certain amount, you know, a good amount of freedom and they make a good amount of money, especially if you're in the right circles and you, you write well, you know, if you can, if you're a good writer, the, the great high paying clients who, you know, even require you to work less are going to find you. Exactly. Uh, all right. Well, uh, I know we get, we got to get you on out of here, so uh, we'll we'll wrap it up here. And then, um, like I said before, more than happy to have you back. Um, it, it does it does mean a lot to know that like over time, people are finding the show and uh, and are not only is it you know, people are just an audience, but also uh, people who have you know elevated themselves to 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 a higher level so you know uh again i just uh it's it's it certainly you know uh kicked this monday off to a good start so yeah, i really appreciate that and the last thing is um just let the audience know how to find you and you probably know what i'm also going to ask because uh you, you know you're a long-time listener or medium term short term i don't know i didn't ask that far point is uh if you have any final words of wisdom or a preferred proverb or anything along those lines feel free to share and then like i said let the audience know how they can uh uh, reach out to and learn more about you yeah i mean i think my one little piece of advice is just to you know keep growing your mindset keep trying to figure out how to how to push through anything that's really stopping you and that's you stopping you so um do your research read some books talk to a mentor um and yeah, take care of yourself. And yeah, you can keep up with me at, uh, you know, join my email list at storiesandcopy.com. Um, I'll send you a free copy of my ebook also called The Click Rate Code if you join. And I send emails to my list about two to three times a week about different stuff about copywriting, email marketing, traveling, anything that's really on my mind. So yeah, stay in touch with me there. And uh, and, and to our audience, um, if you happen to be like Francis and, you know, you are in this space as well, uh, I I, I demand that you reach out to us. So podcast at debutify.com. And to everybody else, um, there are a hundred million things that you can do in this space. And and, uh, we've only just scratched the surface of uh, of what there is. So whatever route you think is best for you to take, there is a route in here for you. So uh, we hope that we uh, have already helped you discover that or we will continue to do that for you. So all the best, take care, and we will check in soon. Thanks for listening. You might have found this show on many number of platforms. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or right here on Debutify. Whatever the case, if you enjoy this content and want to help us thrive, please take a few moments to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you think is best. We also want to hear from you, so whether you think you'd be a good guest or want to weigh in on anything related to our show, you can email podcast at debutify.com or connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Finally, this podcast is created by the passionate team at Debutify. If you're ready to take the plunge into e-commerce or are looking to up your game, head over to debutify.com and see how it can change your life and the lives of many through what you do next.